Tuesday, December 20, December 28th. Unbelievable. I'm Guy Adami, joined as always by my dear friend, Dan Nathan. This is Market Call Macro. Today, we're going to be joined by the great, and he is fantastic, Chris Vecchio, Senior Strategist at Daily FX. Today's Market Call is being brought to you by our presenting sponsors, Dan, Nadex, leading U.S. exchange for binary options, call spreads, and of course, knockouts, and our friends at Open Exchange, because as we've all come to learn, they manage the virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. Well, you know what matters right now? The S&P 500, Dan, just off to the races. I mean, it's crazy. We're going to talk about it. How are you, Dan Nathan? I'm doing great, Guy Adami. I hope you and your family had a great holiday. And like you said, the S&P 500 broke out yesterday. It had been in this volatile range really since the last holiday uh, since Thanksgiving when we got a little of that downward volatility when this Omicron variant became a thing, at least as in for, at least in investors' minds. Obviously, the health um, issues aside here, um, you know, Again, you know, raging into year end guy. What does that tell you? The S&P is up 28% of the year. It feels like we literally are going to close on the dead highs this year. Seasonality, we've talked about it, and I'm not pretending on some raging bull. I'm not. But, you know, what I'll tell you, a couple of weeks ago when we had that huge crater day, and then the yeah. market sort of came back on that Monday. The VIX closed, I think, at 22 and a half, having traded north of 27. I actually said, I think, on our Twitter spaces that, you know what? This might be a short-term bottom. The S&P traded down to 45.30, which had been a prior all-time high. A lot of things lined up. We're going to talk about all those things. But somebody who's been pretty unbelievable, not only this year, but the last couple of years, I mean, maybe his timing in a crude coil notwithstanding has been Tom Lee. And he came out with this great thing about the hospitalization rate and how as you get peak hospitalization rates, that's when the market's bottomed. And you know what? That's been spot on as well. And you look at it, here we are again, Dan Nathan. Yeah, I, you got to give Tom a lot of credit here because he is data-driven. He even has a quant on his team called Tireless Ken. Uh, you know, I just need to hear Give it a second, guy. I need you to think of a good quip there because Tyler's Ken has been plotting all of this data. And listen, it's hard to argue when you see each one of these waves and you see the hospitalization rates and then you see the fact that all of a sudden now we have data suggesting that this is less lethal despite being more transmissible. And it just kind of speaks to the fact of how quickly we have come back from the lows of that, what, 600% peak to trough decline in the S&P 500. So Tom has been very tactical about these calls as it relates to the broad market, but also as it relates to rotations in and out of sectors as it relates to the expect expectations for growth, that sort of thing. So again, you know, he also called the Santa Claus, that ho-ho rally that you love so much, almost to the day last week where the, where the market was going to bottom and start to rally. And you look at that S&P 500 chart, and that is about as close to a straight line higher, about 6%, as you will see. And the breakout is pretty important. I will say that the equal weight S&P 500 has yet to break out. We're going to talk a little bit about that in a second. Well, what does that chart say to you, Guy? Because look at that distance between that 200-day moving uh, average. That's that yellow line and where the index got at its lows last week and where it is right now this week. Unbelievable. I mean, we're probably 400 or so handles away from that is my sense. And you, yeah. you can start talking about standard deviations away from the 200-day moving average, which is interesting by itself. But then you think about it, we haven't even come close to it. In over a year, again, and we've had this conversation many times, it's just a matter of time 
before you have some sort of mean reversion. But here we are. And that 4530 level that I mentioned that we traded down to and bounced off of, that had been a prior all-time high. So everything seems to make sense. We continue to be in this uptrend. And again, as I mentioned, seasonality plays into this now as well, especially over the last couple of days of this year. Uh, I'm hard pressed to believe you're going to see a major self of any significance whatsoever, and it probably continues to levitate higher. I would say that's a really bad thing. I think you would agree with that. But for at least the next five or six days, trading days, you know what? All bets are off. And that leads us down to the VIX, which, again, you have these momentary moves to the upside and each move gets shorter and shorter in duration. You know, this last one, I think we traded up to 27 handle on the VIX, maybe a 28 handle or so. But that's quickly come right back down and we find ourselves once again in the high teens. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned, you know, the calendar and where we are seasonally. Um, you know, look at that move. And you just mentioned the VIX got, you know, um, well over 30 in this move, this recent kind of downdraft here. And I think that has something to do with where the index is, how far it's come since the de Delta variant lows, not just the lows of Omicron, right? And then you think about how investors protect their portfolios, right? So you had a bit of a low vol environment leading into this latest um, variant scare, and people were just reaching for protection. We also saw that in the concentration of, of some names. We're going to talk about that a little bit too. I fully expect the VIX as we kind of go into this low volume sort of melt up in the next couple of days into year end into Friday. Can you imagine, guy, this is the first year in many years where we don't have a day off, where the markets aren't even closed for a little bit for that New Year's holiday. Friday is going to be a ghost town on Wall Street, and it'll be really interesting to see what happens. And let me tell you, it could go either way if you think about it. If there's any reason to sell on a low volume day, you could have a really sharp downdraft. That being said, you can see the mark of all marks into year end. But if that happens, I would fully expect that VIX to be back towards that level it's bounced on numerous occasions over the last. No, listen, say. no question about it. And it's interesting. The low in the VIX was, I think, 11.75 or so in January of last year, January 17th, I believe. And obviously, within two months, you had a VIX that was north of 85. Again, hard-pressed. That was in 2020, by the way. I'm hard-pressed to believe we're going to see similar. But who knows, Dan? There's so many strange things happening these days. But you wanted to talk about this because here we are. Gigantic stocks are reason to worry. Yeah, well, that's something you've been talking about for a while, Dan, Nathan. Yeah, and listen, you can post this headline every day in the Wall Street Journal or anywhere on any major news publication or financial news publication. It still won't matter because those stocks that we're supposed to worry are climbing the wall of worry right now, right? They are like massively outperforming. These two headlines really caught me yesterday. This was Zero Hedge quoting a Goldman Sachs strategy report. They're saying 51% of all market gains since April are five stocks. And those stocks are Apple, Microsoft, NVIDIA, Tesla, and Alphabet, which I think is really interesting. And then 35% of the NASDAQ stocks are above their 200-day moving average. And that just really shows the breadth that we've been talking about, how it's been weakening over the last few months or so. And under the hood, there's a lot of stocks that are performing very, very poorly. Now, why is that concentration important? Well, it's also important because we're going to talk about rates. We have this maybe rising rate environment, or at least at least the two-year is telling us that. And I know Chris Vecchio is going to get into Fed hike expectations a little bit. But look at this quote from J.P. Morgan in a piece um, from yesterday, quote in the Wall Street Journal, that they're talking about the top 10 stocks in the S&P uh, 500 and the five that we just talked about that are accounting for half of the performance in the, in the market since April. They're also at very extended valuation levels. Uh, I think the ten, top 10 constituents in November were 
68% above their average multiple over the last 25 years. That includes the Fed or that includes the dot-com bubble. And then if you look at the remaining stocks in the index, they're just 28% above. So you have concentration and then you have really high valuation in those concentrated names, guys. And, you know, the thing is, nobody cares about valuation when rates are low. I mean, that's been the thing all along. When in low rate environment, I think even Jerome Powell said that there's no reason to even talk about valuation. But as rates are starting to go on higher and you mentioned it, it's not the 10 year that's gone anywhere. The 10 year is exactly where we've been. It's been the two years. So we'll see what happens. I think we are absolutely stretched on valuation, but we'll see. But this chart in the NDX, it's interesting because as the S&P 500 made a new all-time high, the NASDAQ didn't back that up. So we'll see if it means anything, if it's just a matter of time before it blasts through 17,000. I don't know. But once again, we find ourselves light years from the 200-day moving average. And in some ways, light years above that uptrend line that we've been in place since March of 2020. Yeah, you know, Guy, this chart, though, tells the story of what we just talked about with those two headlines a little bit. The inability to keep pace with the S&P 500, I think, is really telling. And then if you look at the ARK Innovation ETF, this actually also speaks to what we're talking about, that only 35% of the stocks in the NASDAQ are above their 200-day moving average. Because if ARK is made up of all these innovative technology companies and all of the all of the products and services and processes that these innovation or innovative tech companies are doing are seeping their way into other industries wouldn't you think in this environment that this etf should be raging but look at it this is one of the worst charts in the market look at that well-defined downtrend that's been in place from the highs since february it broke down below those lows i think in the high like 108 or something like that and that is that past support is now resistance here and it just can't get going so basically the arc is like the nasdaq but without all the good stuff man and i think that has to like literally at some point this situation has to resolve itself at some point guy well it's interesting i mean it made a 52 week low i think on december 6th south of 90 which is really interesting the chart illustrates it there and it's what's really remarkable is you know this stock was well this etf was doing it with tesla basically hanging in there and then you saw the downdraft in tesla and listen if you watch fast money if you listen to us you know i thought for the longest time tesla would trade back down to that prior all-time high, which is effectively $900. And that's exactly what happened. And you've seen the subsequent bounce, which in a lot of ways is bailing out this ARK ETF. But I want to say all but two of the names in this ETF are anywhere from 20% to more in terms of peak to trough declines from its 52-week high. It's remarkable. And some of those names are down 60-70%. If you look at the DocuSigns and Teladocs and some of those names, it's pretty unbelievable if you think about it. And again, we're not here to sort of cast dispersions, as they say about Kathy Wood. Her performance has been unbelievable. I think we bring this up, at least in my mind, to this is sort of a view on market sentiment. And if you think about what the market's been, been all about over the last two years, it's really been about these high-flying names, huge valuations, huge growth. Uh, but when the music stops, you see how quickly things go lower. I just think that's a really important point, Guy. It's like, this is not dunking on Kathy. I mean, if anything, this woman has identified in her team over at ARC some of the biggest themes in almost every tech and how, uh, every tech vertical and how they are seeping into other parts of the industrial economy and other parts of the economy in general. The point here is that there's a massive disconnect, right, between what's going on in the major names and then some of these other names. And it really brings us to valuation. And valuations are important. 
as they uh, relative to growth. I, I think that's the most important thing. And that's the one thing that we learned in 2021. When we started this year and rates were going higher, right, in Q1, the expectation that we are going to have a bang up second half 2021 because this pandemic was probably going to be behind us because we had vaccines and we were likely to be very vaxxed and we we're going to get to reopening our economy. But here we are. What we saw what Delta did to Q3 GDP expectations. I think most had GDP um, estimates well above 6% at the start of Q3, and it ended up being 2.3%. Well, here we are. We have this new variant now. Again, the, the, the Atlanta Fed GDP tracker has expected Q4 growth at 7.6%, guys. Now, a lot of expectations are coming down really hard for Q4, and they're coming down for Q1. And you have this rising rate expectation. The Fed is not taking their foot off the pedal as it relates to the taper. And Chris is going to tell us where he thinks rate hikes are going to start in 2022. But what does that mean for stock market valuations? Because you just alluded to it. It's really important. It's, a really, it's probably the most important thing that we can figure out if we want to figure out where stocks are going in 2022. Well, it's interesting. You look at this Wall Street Journal headline, Omicron variant expected to dent global economy in early 2022. You could change two words in this, and it's the same thing from 2021. And yep. take make Delta the word instead of Omicron and make it 2021 instead of 2022. It's exact thing playing over now. What I've said for a while is I think the market, and I think it's playing out, has learned how to deal with the virus and the subsequent variants. It's a, what happens with the economy. There, there's some people out there, and I've read about this, and I'm sure you've seen it on television, that think that this is one of the best things that could happen this Omicron in terms of more transmissible, less deadly, um, winds up getting to herd immunity. We probably couldn't have done with vaccines alone. We'll see. I have no idea if that's going to play out. But if it does, I think it suggests that we could go gangbusters in early or mid 2022, which, again, makes the Fed's job even more important. We'll see. I mean, there's so many variables to this entire thing, and there's so many people trying to handicap and engage it. I'm not sure. What I will tell you is the most economically sensitive names. And again, this is really what it comes down to are the names in this RTY or the IWM, depending on what you look at. And this for a while. You had that false breakout in November. You had sideways action in November. I thought the breakout was going to hold. It didn't. But then we said it's key that it holds that support level, that green line that we were drawing for you. And that's exactly what happened. Traded down to and held, I believe, on that Monday that I just outlined in terms of the S&P 500 trading down to 4530. So here we are. But Dan, we're right at the 200-day moving average. And the last time we traded up to it, you see what happened. We failed and we traded lower. It's going to be interesting to see what happens this time. Yeah, I mean, I guess the good news here is that if you believe that Omicron is going to kind of fade out and we're going to get to some sort of immunity level that really does allow things to open and the next time we have some sort of variant, it's that much weaker and we're just not going to have the sort of disruption that we have the economic activity. You saw the CDC just change their kind of quarantine rules um, for people who've been exposed with um, asymptomatic, uh, asymptomatic um, situation. I mean, going from 10 days to five days, that's all good news. I don't think it really matters right now for this way. But if you're looking at economically sensitive and you're looking at, you know, how to play, let's say, you know, a late Q1, Q2 sort of rally, you have to think that this long base, this entire year of a base after a huge ramp in late 2020, after we got the vaccine news, you got to think that that's the way to play. You got to think you're going to want to uh, bet on the domestically 
focused economy here in the US that's gonna come out of this quicker. So to me, I think it all makes sense. I am tracking that green line guy just like you are. Let's see next time it goes down there if it can hold. And, and the truth is, you probably play it for a 5% bounce um, at that point. You know, we were talking about rates, guy. I wanna run through these really quickly here. And you and I, you know, I think you've actually spelled it out really nicely here. You know, you had a great call in the 10 year where you thought it was going early this year. You stuck to that 2% target. It almost got there on a couple of occasions really felt like it was going there you changed your tune a little bit where you said you know what maybe we shouldn't be looking at the 10-year right now because it's not saying the thing that we think it's saying about what the fed's going to do and where rates are going to go and where fed fund rates are going to go in particular i look at this 10-year chart we see it's just narrowing and narrowing it's getting to you know grinding down to a level where it's going to break one way or another it's contending with that 200 day i'm not sure that's so important here let's see if it can hold that uptrend that's been in place since that kind of 113 level over the summer, but it's really the two-year. The two-year is telling you that the Fed taper is not going to stop and that we are going to actually have maybe a rate hike sooner than expected. Again, Chris is going to talk to that, but we have the two-year at 52-week highs, probably more than that, right? And then here's the one I really want to get your take on, guy. The 210 spread. You see it right here, okay? It's trading at lows that we have not seen basically in a year. What does this mean to you about growth expectations relative to what the Fed wants to do? Well, I mean, this is Danny Moses. Um, growth expectations are going to go down. I mean, and you're seeing that manifest in a 10-year that really has been able to go nowhere and the two-year, which continues to grind higher. I mean, just think about that last chart you had. Two-year yields were 20 basis points in September. And they're flirting with 80 basis points now. You can do that, Dan. That's a quadruple, as they say. So what do I think here? I think tens is probably ratchet of 30 basis points. And I think it's going to be in the form of traded three and 10 years trade about one six. That could happen early in 2021. Now, what it means for the broader market, 2022, excuse me. What it means for the broader market, I think that would be really bad for it. But the market has looked past all that stuff. I'll stick think these 210 yield or 210 spread is going to 30 base and i think it's going to get there at 1316 i also think it's negative but that's the wild card what does it mean for the broader market because the broader markets look past absolutely everything dan nathan matter of fact they do all right let's bring in Daily FX's senior strategist, Chris Vecchio. He's a star. He's been with us in this entire journey for most of 2021 here. Chris, give it to us on rates here. You just heard us kind of wax poetically on the 210 and the spread and what we think it means for expected growth and um, how it might impact valuations in the stock market. What's your take here, bud? Morning, gentlemen. I hope that you guys, your families, and everyone listening in had a nice holiday season so far. Uh, and I do think that we're going to see that continued flattening of the yield curve. There's two things to keep in mind here. Uh, short end rates are indeed reflecting that the Fed is going to be moving faster on policy. We see that market expectations are for a March 2022 rate hike right now, which would be in line with them entering, <laughs> ending a taper. I happen to think that if we do see three Fed hikes in 2022, they're going to come at the summary of economic projection meetings, which would be June, September, and December of next year. Uh, but moreover, there's been this occurrence that outside of the Fed's QE operations, long-end yields tend to fall because as the Fed adds less stimulus to markets, as interest rates bump up, those longer-term growth and inflation expectations are, are sucked out of the market. So that leads us to believe that we're going to see a continued flattening of the U.S. yield curve, uh, in turn reflecting perhaps a, a slightly weaker growth environment in 2022 um, and 2023 beyond. 
Now, it's worth noting that while the Atlanta Fed GDP Now growth tracker for the fourth quarter is still a robust 7.6%, they actually underestimated growth in the third quarter. The, the growth tracker for 3Q was at 0.3% when it came in at 23 So these forecasters, they haven't been right. They've been wrong on both sides. Um, it's possible that Omicron does not impact the economy to the degree that we think it will. And I think the move that we've seen in companies like Live Nation and uh, Hilton and even the Jets ETF or airlines, very robust moves over the past week or two, uh, 10, 20% gains, in part reflecting the fact that Omicron may not be the negative impact on travel uh, that some may fear it may be. So I think the Fed is going to continue its taper. We're going to see it wound down by March. We'll see three rate hikes in 2022. Um, but beyond that, uh, it's really a function of whether or not we get more fiscal stimulus. There's been some news out of Washington that perhaps the Build Back Better isn't dead. Just in its current iteration, it's not going to pass. We may see a trim package, which could be a nice little bump to a GDP if we see a little bit more government spending before the midterms. And I appreciate you bringing it up. Before we get to the dollar chart, I want to mention something because you brought it up. If you go back and look, and I know you know this and we've talked about it, all the airline stocks topped out in April. I believe it was mid-April when the news in terms of the vaccines uh, was at its peak, was at its best. And that's when those stocks actually started to trade lower. And they've traded lower until recently. A lot of bounce when news seemingly is now at its in terms of this, just look at the move in a name like Expedia, uh, some of these other names that are maybe telling you something to your point, I think exactly that, Chris. So maybe the variant's not going to be as much of an impediment as we think. Maybe the Fed has to stay the course. I think they do. We'll see. But the dollar is the next chart. I think that's telling a story as well, because it appears that and higher this stair step move higher that we basically since May. Yeah, we, we've seen a little bit of distribution here over the past month, month and a half right now in the dollar index, uh, broadly reflecting the fact that Fed rate hike odds haven't increased, that the uh, two, uh, 2510 butterfly ha has not widened out any further. So this consolidation is good for the dollar. The futures market is also the longest that it's been since October 2019. So there, there is a little bit of oversaturation right now. And December seasonally has not been a good month for the greenback during uh, the QE era, if you look back over the past five or 10 years. So um, right now, ultimately, I think what's going to be the big driver of the dollar moving forward will be the rates, particularly at the short end. The Bank of International Settlements tells us that the two-year yield differentials are the biggest uh, factor for FX rates, for spot rates. And so that speaks to a chart like dollar-yen, which has a chance to continue to grind higher. Also, the juxtaposition between Fed policy and some of the other major central banks, like the ECB, like the BOJ. While the Fed is moving forward with these discussions about tapering and raising interest rates in 2022. The BOJ is not doing anything. They haven't been doing anything for almost, what, 30 years now. Uh, we have uh, the ECB telling us that the market's wrong in their anticipation of ECB rate hikes. And so right now, the dollar still has this situational advantage uh, with risk rallying, with ultimately U.S. yields at the short end moving up, that I do think dollar yen could be looking at a test of its yearly highs very shortly, if not by the end of this week. Uh, perhaps early 2022. And then beyond that, uh, it looks like the euro still is going to be breaking back down towards that 110 figure. We have this nice symmetrical triangle forming in the context of a downtrend. We've broken back below that trend line from the all-time highs we had back at the end of the aughts. And again, in, in the mid-2010s, uh, 2008, 2014 highs there. And so the dollar looks like it's still on strong footing. It just may need to grind through a little bit of this oversaturation in terms of positioning in the near term.
It's been really interesting. I mean, that dollar yen chart looks like it definitely wants to trade north of 117 or so. And by the way, it could probably still trade down to 112 and a half and still be in this uptrend as you look. So it's a really interesting chart. And I think it speaks to everything that you've been talking about now for the last four or five months. I think if I'm not mistaken, if we don't have it, I apologize. But I think we have an oil chart as well to take a look at because, you know, oil has been really interesting. And here we are again. Let's thought this year, effectively over the next three days, we would trade triple digits. Look, it got close in November. It really looked like then you had that huge downdraft on the back of the variant news. Dark, yeah, you know, getting off the mat again, Chris. Sure. And oil prices are, to me, the best indicator that we have for growth concerns around the Omicron variant, right? We talked about this last week. Uh, but oil itself, when you look at global oil demand on a quarterly basis measured against global GDP over the past 30 years, it has a robust 0.97 correlation. So the fact that we're seeing oil prices rebound uh, on this fundamental basis that maybe growth won't be as impaired as people previously feared, that's a good sign for risk. Also, oil prices have made a nice technical rebound here. We had that breakout uh, to the downside of the uptrend from the November 2020, August 2021 swing lows. Here we are over the past few days trading back within that channel. We're now challenging uh, that early July bearish outside engulfing bar, a key reversal right up in that uh, 76, 20 range or so. Um, I do think that we are potentially looking at a very strong signal right now that the risk rally has some legs to it because Omicron, yes, more transmissible. But as we've talked about literally for the past month, more transmissible means less lethal, which means less tail risk outcomes. Hospitals probably won't be overwhelmed. We won't see the deaths rack up. That's good news for the global economy. And you know what? U.S. consumers are on fire right now, uh, spending up 8.5% over the past year, up about 11%, just a hair under that, from the 2019 levels. The U.S. consumers are uh, carrying the economy forward. I do think that we have some tailwinds heading into early 2022, even if valuations still appear to be stretched. Appreciate those comments, Chris. Dan, I know you... Well, and I also want to look at some other charts. We have Bitcoin and Ethereum. But Dan, Nathan, jump in here. Yeah, so let's let's talk about crypto. Guy, you've mentioned this on many occasions this year that you thought the correlations, you know, to equities at some point has the potential to kind of line up a little bit better. I mean, I think a lot of people, you know, buy, let's say, Bitcoin in particular for what they think is, you know, an inflation hedge or an uncorrelated sort of risk asset relative to some more traditional ones. And if you look at the volatility that we've seen just in Bitcoin this year, one of the reasons why I think we're talking about it right now, I think it speaks to what are we seeing in some of these more spec speculative equities? What are we seeing in SPACs and, and recent unprofitable IPOs? Well, look at Bitcoin now. It's down 30% since making its new all-time high um, just a couple months ago. It's sitting right above its 200-day moving average. This is a two-year chart that we're showing right here. You can draw a couple of different trend lines. The one off of this year's low, the, 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 the uh, Bitcoin would be below that right here. I chose to, to do it from where it started to rip late 2020 here. And you see that there's some room to the downside, maybe 40000 and let's see if it holds right there. But again, why are we bringing this up right now? We know that this is a pocket of speculation where a lot of investors who are focused on a lot of stuff that's not acting well in the stock market see this as an interesting one. And I just want to kind of juxtapose the 80 or so percent returns in Bitcoin this year off 30 percent from its highs to Ethereum, which is the second largest crypto asset, probably 55% of the market cap of Bitcoin, which is just um, around, let's say, a trillion or so. 
look at this one. I drew the trend line from the lows that we had this summer here. You see it's below that. It's well above its 200-day. It's only down about 20%. But importantly, the outperformance versus Bitcoin up over 400% on the year. This is the one that we've talked about on macro or a market call macro on many occasions. I kind of buy on dips, not kind of, I do. And I really like the relative strength relative to Bitcoin. Um, but right here, this one feels like it's got lower lows here, maybe back to that 200 day and possibly back to those lows in late September. So it's going to be really interesting to see how investors or traders or speculators in crypto, crypto treat some really big gains as we head into year end and as they think about taxes. I think they're trying to hold on for dear life and get into 2022 and then kind of prune some of these positions a little bit. But again, it just brings me back to sentiment about risk taking. All right, that's my take on crypto. I got to thank the great Chris Vecchio, senior strategist at Daily FX. Chris, we hope you and your family have a great holiday season and a happy new year. Thank you for joining us. I got to thank Guy Adami, my partner in crime here. Today's Market Call Macro was brought to you by our presenting sponsors, Nadex and Open Exchange. Thank you to you guys. And we have a really big announcement here, people. If you like this episode of Market Call Macro, you're going to love our Thursday Market Call Street Research with Liz Young of SoFi and Carter Braxtonworth of Worth Charting. We do that live at 11 a.m. on Thursdays. We're also taking Market Call Macro live starting next week also at 11 a.m. So follow us at Market Call, MKT Call on Twitter for all of our latest updates and links. Thank you guys for joining us. Join us on Market Call Street Research on Thursday at 11 a.m. And we will be back live Tuesday on January 4th for Market Call Macro. Thanks very much. Thanks for joining us.